the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Let's pray. Almighty God of heaven, King of kings and Lord of lords, you will provide. I pray that as we hear the word today, it will be quickened in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly things. Or in spiritual wickedness for heavenly things. The battle is on for heavenly things. The devil, the principalities, the powers are determined that we shall not have these heavenly things in our hearts. And so the Word of God says in two places. Chapter 6, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. If you do not have on the armor of God, you will not be able to stand against what the devil will bring against you. You will be deceived in your mind, you will be seduced in your heart, and you will not be able to fight for heavenly things. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, this is now the NIV, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Literally, in the Greek, heavenly realms is translated things. It's used, this word is used 41 times in the New Testament, and in each place except here, It's translated things. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Verse 13. So that when the day of evil comes, not if it comes, when it comes, when is the day of evil? When temptation begins to overwhelm you. When your heart begins to turn bitter when the devil begins to cut you in such a manner that your heart rebels, your heart aches, and you reach out and grab a hold of some kind of wickedness and say, okay, I'm going to get a hold of this. The day of evil will come. You may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand... Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, we're reviewing. This truth that is buckled around your waist in Roman armor was literally a wide belt that was pulled in tight around the the waist and the loins. And it covered where all of the different pieces of armor fit together so that the enemy could not slide a knife in between. 
or an arrow or a spear. It was usually made of heavy leather. It was protective in nature. This this belt of truth, as I've shared with you, is basically in two parts. One part is the correct theology, the teachings of the scripture. That's why I urge you constantly, read at least 10 chapters a day. Focus on reading the word of God. Lay aside the television, lay aside the internet, lay aside everything and read the word. You will not have on the truth of God if you don't read the word. You cannot trust any preacher including me, to give you the truth of God. Because when you stand before the judgment bar of God, God is not going to say, okay, I excuse you because you heard Pastor Ray say that, but he was wrong. You stand before the throne of God by yourself. You will be judged for what you have dug out and understood So if you misunderstand the scriptures, you will not be able to blame anyone but our own laziness as we have turned to things of the world instead of things of God. It's imperative. I mean, Jonathan Edwards, this wonderful, wonderful preacher of old, spent 18 hours a day in his study in the scriptures and in prayer. And his congregation became very angry with him. To the point they finally fired him after he preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. And then confronted two of the young people who had become sexually involved. And he called it out from the pulpit. The problem was they were from very prominent, powerful, wealthy families in the church. And those families moved against him for criticizing their young people. And he was fired from that church. Now you would think another church would have quickly grabbed him because he's so famous today. Not so. He took the Bible and he began tutoring Indian school children from the word of God. And from there he received an invitation to come and be the president of Princeton University which was set up to train young people for the work of the gospel. You wouldn't know that from Princeton today. So there is the theological correctness that you gain by reading the scriptures. The second part of this girdle of truth is sincerity. It's earnestness. It's hungrily pressing in and saying, I must have Jesus. And as you read the word of God, both parts of truth come together. You begin to understand what the word teaches. It begins to make sense to you as you read it. I have to tell you, as a pastor, I read the scriptures Spotly here and there. No one in seminary ever suggested that it was important to read the scriptures. 
when I finally began to read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, I began to understand the flow of God in a way I'd never understood before. And after 10 times, I understood a lot better. And after 50 times, it started finally to make sense to me. You have to read it. And as you read it, what will happen is the Word of God will teach you theology. But it will also teach you how to repent before God. It will force you to repent because the convicting power of the Spirit will begin to separate truth and error in your heart. Most of us spend quite a bit of time lying to ourselves about the condition of our heart. And then we say to ourselves, well, God understands. God understands. I'm covered by his grace. I can do this and it's okay because his grace covers me. And so we lie to ourselves. We cannot be in Christ Jesus and in sin at the same time. You can't do it. And Jesus' interest is to bring us into himself. The devil's interest is just to keep us out of Jesus. Whatever he has to do, he wants to keep us out of Jesus. He's happy to have us in the church. He's even happy to have you give tithes and offerings. He's happy to have you share with other people the gospel of Jesus. As long as he can keep you in sin. Because then you're not in Jesus. He's excited when you get sentimentally involved with Jesus Christ. As long as you don't get involved with him in truth. As long as Jesus is like a rabbit's foot that you can rub and wish on. He's happy. That doesn't threaten his kingdom. What threatens his kingdom is what we're going to deal with today. And I too want to go back into the story of of Abram. We find in Genesis, the 12th chapter, that God is called out of his country. He's told to leave his family behind. He doesn't. He brings his family with him. A promise is given. No reasons are given for the promise. He's not told here that he's going to possess this land. He's simply given a promise. Now, Lot and his family and Abram and his family leave Haran. Haran means parched. Now, please understand, Haran is not parched. Haran is a a beautiful tropical place, lots of water, palm trees, a paradise. But the name Heron means parched. There was no presence of God there. 
So Abram sets out at the command of God with half obedience. And when he gets there, there's a famine. Now, if you don't understand this one simple basic truth, as soon as you are given a promise and you begin to act on that promise, it will be as though God has gone on vacation. Because he wants to see what you're going to do with the promise he's given you. He arrives and there's a famine in the land. And so he continues moving toward Egypt. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. God did not tell him to go to Egypt. God told him to go to Cana land where there was a famine. But in his wisdom, he said, there is no way we can survive and I'm going to lose livestock and that's money. And I cannot afford to lose livestock and we can't survive here as a family. Never mind, he could have sent down to Egypt servants to buy food and bring it back. He didn't do that. He moved to Egypt. Because after all, his heart was much more given to Egypt than to the God of heaven. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. On Abram's heart, is the question, how can I survive? The reason God sends us to a desert place after the promise is given to raise the question in your heart, how can I survive here? It looks as though I can't survive. I'm going to die here. And at that point, almost every person will scramble to get into a place where they have a machine to crank so they can provide for themselves. And after they provide for themselves, they no longer need God, except the sentimental relationship they have with God where they can worship Him and they can praise Him and they can even offer sacrifices to Him, but they have their deal over here on the side where they're taking care of business. Because they don't believe they can serve God and survive. This now will become the question of all of the rest of Abram's life. The question, can I serve God and survive? And Abram, time after time, answers that question. No, I cannot. I cannot trust God. He is willing to give away Sarai 
so that he can survive. He is willing to give away the instrument by which God plans to bring the blessing of heaven into his life and to cause him to bear much fruit, to cause him to be the renowned of God. The very instrument God intends to use, he's willing to give away. So he's in Egypt. She's taken into the king's palace to be a wife of Pharaoh. Abram acquires sheep and cattle and female donkeys and men servants and maid servants and camels. How's it going, Abram? I'm getting rich. What about Sarai? I lost her. What are you willing to lose in order to survive? What have you lost in order to survive? Have you sold yourself to survive? Because you didn't believe God would bring you that husband or that wife? Or God would not bring you that resource? Or God would not bring for you that healing of your body? What have you sold out in order to survive? Do you believe the Lord will provide for you. Do you know how to go to God and get what you need in order to survive emotionally, spiritually, physically, socially? Oh, pastor, I just... I couldn't help myself. I just had to go there. I just had to do it. Doesn't God understand? I have to do what I have to do. I couldn't resist the temptation. Really? So you sold out. Then you turn to Genesis, the 20th chapter. Oh, by the way, Abram is publicly kicked out of Egypt. Have you ever been slapped by God? Abram got a good slap from God. But he didn't learn. I don't know how many times my dad had to discipline me before I started to learn. But it was repeated. I did not learn on the first time around. Chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev. Verse 2. Abram said of his wife Sarai, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Ger, sent for Sarai and took her. So now he's given up his wife a second time. Because he does not believe he can survive 
and maintain his family. I'm struggling right now with a man who has lost his job. He called me last night. He doesn't see any way to keep his family together. He's going to be homeless. How does he keep his family together? Does he farm the kids out? Send his wife away? Sleep in the car? A couple years ago, he was making a hundred grand a year. Now he's going to be homeless. What do you think he says about God being willing and able to provide for him? Do you think he can trust God? Do you think he should trust God? Does God provide or doesn't he? This whole National Prayer Chapel was started precisely on that question. That was the question that drove me to prayer. When I said to myself, I can't trust God to provide for me. I've built a large congregation, a large and prosperous church with a good salary. Reaching the community, doing television, doing radio. And I looked at all of that and I said, I'm the one doing it with my own skill. God's not in it. And then the tough question came. Would you close the church? Can I provide for you? And the Lord said to me, it's your church, not mine. Close it. So I went to the elders and the board and we closed the church. And of course, there went my salary. How long could you survive without your salary? With no income, how long could you survive? The savings went. The retirement went. The cars went. The houses went. Until finally, I had nothing left. We had eaten the condiments. We were going to be evicted. It was over. And all I could think about was let me die. Because I can't trust God. And I finally cracked. And finally said, okay, I'll trust you. And then astonishing delivery came from every hand, from God, not from my hand, not by my skill, by his wisdom. The question has to be asked and it has to be answered honestly. Can 
you believe that God will supply for you? Can you believe that on the mountain of God it will be provided? Or must you provide for yourself? No. I'm not saying being a neutral. I'm saying doing exactly what God tells you to do, when he tells you to do it, the way he tells you to do it, and trust him in that direction to provide for you. Or must you lie and cheat and scheme and work like the world just to survive? Can a man survive on the promises of God? Abraham's answer was no. And God had to come in a dream and say to Abimelech, you are as good as dead. And Abimelech says, wait a minute, what have I done? I'm innocent. That's Abraham's wife you have. I didn't touch her, God. God says, I know, I restrained you. He said, she told me she was his sister. Give her back. Not only give her back, but give her 25 pounds of silver. Cover the cost of the embarrassment. God's not done yet. Chapter 22. God tested Abraham. That word tested literally means pierced. To light up. God lit him up. He uncovered his heart. What would happen today if God came into this room and uncovered your heart? What would he see? Would he see you saying, yes, God, I trust you? Or would he see an attitude in your heart that says, I cannot trust that God will provide for me. Therefore, I must do for myself what I must do. I must compromise. I must lie. I must withhold from God. Some of you struggle with paying tithes and offerings. I know why. Because you don't believe that that money came from God. You believe that that money belongs to you. And so you hold it back. And you say, if I have any extra left over, I'll give that. You're revealing that in your heart you do not believe that God will provide for you. And so you withhold on God. 
That's what Abram did. He withheld on God. If I don't withhold from God, this person that I want to marry will not marry me. If I don't withhold on God, I'm not going to be able to do what I need to do. I have to be free to be able to accomplish what I need to accomplish. I can't trust God to step into this deal. So God did a final test. A final piercing. Now, I can't tell you this for certain. There are some extra biblical sources that tell us this. But Abraham did not talk with Sarah before he before he took his son to offer him on the mountain. Chapter 23 starts, Sarah lived to be 127 years old, and she died. And when she died, she was not living with Abram or Abraham. They were separated. They weren't divorced, they were just separated. I suspect it was over this piercing, over this testing. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. I love that. Abraham has finally grown in maturity with God where he knows that God will supply what he needs. He doesn't even question. He just gets up in the morning and he says, I'm on my way. He doesn't consult with anyone. He just says, do it. God said it, I'll do it. Do you understand what it takes to come into a position where you finally in your heart say, if God said it, I'll do it? Because God said it, I'll do it. Not just once, but every time. I'll do it over and over and over. And if I die, I die, but I'll die doing what God told me to do. In the New Testament, it says, you have not yet resisted sin to the point of death. The expectation of God is that we will say no to sin, no to darkness, no to self-sufficiency, that we will take a firm position that says, God will provide the Lord will provide that we will take that strong position and stand in it though the heavens fall. And this issue exposes the deepest parts of our heart where we say, how can I survive and do this? How many times I've gotten on my face before God and said, Lord, I'm going to do what you've told me to do, but I'm going to die doing it.
Jan said to me, Ray, the Lord told me I have cancer. I'm going to stand by faith that I will be healed. But if I'm not healed, I will die praying and reading the scriptures and putting my trust in Jesus. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And many of you with me watched as she slowly died. The last words I heard her speak were whispered, I love you, and then lost in prayer. And she faded and was gone. She was praying with the last breath of her mouth with praise and worship to Jesus. I want to die that way. Have you determined in your heart that you can trust the word of the Lord? Or are you still wavering, thinking you can provide for yourself? And that if God doesn't come through for you, you've got a backup plan. And you can work it out. You have a back door. So if God doesn't provide for you the person you think you want, or if God doesn't provide for you the job you have to have, or if God doesn't provide for you the income you recognize you have to have to hold your family together, are you going to still trust in the Lord? Or do you have a backup plan in your pocket? They walked together, and Abram said to the, or Abraham said to the men, the servants, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. We're told in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, how he figured that out. He said, God told me that this was what was going to happen with Isaac's life. He did not tell me that Isaac was going to die on an altar. So, if Isaac dies on an altar, that means God will resurrect him. So, I will do what God said to do. Abraham had never seen anybody resurrected before. But he said, I will trust God. Isaac will have the future he promised me. He is the son of promise. So, the promise looks utterly destroyed now. Looks like there's no possibility of this promise ever coming forth. But I will trust that God will bring it forth. It doesn't matter what the circumstances look like. It doesn't matter what the finances look like. I was up this morning crying out to God about radio. Saying, Lord, I can't bear the burden of this radio, this expense, every month struggling. We did an offertory this last Thursday. We needed $998. $275 were pledged. That's it. It was like a kick in the gut for me. 
Always before an offertory, the Lord has provided the full amount necessary. This time I was blocked. I couldn't even go on the air except by a cell phone connection. Every door was closed. And I'm saying, Lord, help. I'm drowning. I trust you. I went to the post office. I left the house. I went to the post office. There was a check from a listener for $1,000. God covered it. Lord, thank you. Do you know how happy I was that before I went to the post office, I had come to the conclusion God will provide. And I recognize that was a setup by God to pierce my heart to see where I would stand. So I came to him this morning and I said, Lord, I've been living on the edge too long. I can't stand living on this edge anymore. Are any of you today living on the edge? Where you're saying, I can't stand this anymore. Something has to happen. Something has to change. I can't live on this edge. It's cutting me apart. It's ripping me to pieces. Then know the invitation. Believe that the Lord will provide. And you're off the edge. Nothing has changed in the physical realm. All of the things in the physical realm are still the same. The question is, do you believe the Lord will provide or do you not believe that? Do you believe the Lord will provide for you righteousness? Do you believe the Lord will provide for you total victory over every besetting sin that you've been struggling with? Do you stand by faith that you can be washed and cleansed and given a clear conscience with no condemnation, knowing that you're washed and made pure and clean before God? Do you believe that? Or do you continually condemn yourself and put yourself down and say, I've tried as hard as I can and I can't do it. Then hear God saying, no, you can't do it, but I can. Will you obey? Will you trust? Will you allow me to come in and wash you and cleanse you? You can walk in my power. I will provide. He binds his son Isaac. And by the way, I've never liked Isaac very much. And the reason I haven't liked him is because of what he did with Jacob. He liked Esau, not Jacob. And Jacob was the Lord's chosen. It says in Scripture that he had a taste for the wild game. 
I guess that's about as wild as you could get in that day. But I have to tell you, I love Isaac because of what he did with his dad. He was not a child. He could have resisted his dad. He could have fought his dad. But he laid his life down. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. I'm sure he was weeping and I'm sure he had told Isaac, you will be resurrected. And an angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy and do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. God is saying, what are you withholding from me? And the the essence of what most of us withhold from God is the fundamental belief that God is enough to supply for us. You may be facing a week of absolute impossibility. Do you believe God will provide for you? Verse 14, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. We all need stones of remembrance. Do you know what a stone of remembrance is? where you have seen a miracle of God take place and where you can come back and lay your hand on that miracle and say, God did this. And because God did this, I know God will supply my need. I know I can trust him. All of us come to a point where we forget what God did in the past. It's almost though we're like salesmen. You know, what about today? It's not what I did yesterday. That commission's already put away. It's what can I do today? We need a stone of remembrance where we can lay our hand on it and say, God did this. God did this. I didn't. God opened the door. He made it possible. He opened the way. A stone of remembrance that the Lord will provide. But I want you to notice where it says God will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. If you are not on the mountain of the Lord, it will not be provided. Where is the mountain of the Lord? Your prayer closet. Where you meet him. 
your place where you read the word. Your place where you humble your heart before God and you confess your unbelief and you confess how you feel like you have to go take care of business yourself and you renounce that and say, I will be faithful to you, O God, and I will only go where you tell me to go and I'll only do what you tell me to do. Now, God didn't tell me to come here and preach today. He didn't need to. He told me a long time ago to come here and preach. And so I come here and preach until he tells me the next thing to do. Every day I go to the radio. God doesn't have to tell me to go to the radio. I go because that's the last order I got from God. Wherever the last direction came to me, that's where I stand until the word of God comes to me again. And I don't move out of that place until God says move. You may be in a job that is not providing for you. Understand that your job is not supposed to provide for you. God is supposed to provide for you. You're simply supposed to remain there under the piercing to do what God has told you to do until the appointed time when God breaks out and God takes over and then you have another stone of remembrance to lay your hand on and say, God did it. I can't imagine that James and I one day will be walking down the streets of gold and I'll be telling him about all the wonderful things I did for God. I don't think that conversation's going to ever take place. If we are gifted and blessed to be walking down those streets of gold one day, we're going to be talking about what Jesus did. Because Jesus is the one who did it. Now, that raises the issue that I want to close with. It's found in Luke, the 17th chapter. thought it was the 17th chapter. Let me find it quickly for you. Seventeenth chapter, verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But you will not see it. Men will tell you, There he is, or here he is. 
do not go running after them. Now, I want to stop just a moment. I don't know if you've been watching what's been happening in our modern culture. But Pope Francis has taken a position that aliens will soon come to the earth or are already present and that they are to be included into the fellowship of the Christian church. There is increasing talk in mainstream media that alien creatures are going to appear and they will be our creators and they will come again to the earth, to their creation to update us. A news report came out this last week in a major scientific journal that said that DNA has been found in the human DNA from aliens. This whole movement of transhumanism and singularity and moving into the area of the alien is very much real and vibrant in our culture. You will soon see announcements. The Messiah has come. And he's going to be at one of the big football stadiums. And everybody's going to buy tickets and they're going to go see the Messiah. Don't go. Jesus was talking about our day. Don't be deceived. These are demonic beings. These are demonic spirits. They are not aliens. They're demons. For the Son of Man in His day will be like lightning, flashing and lighting up the sky from one end to the other. It's not going to be a secret rapture. There's nothing in Scripture that teaches a secret rapture. It's going to be the coming of Jesus like the lightning splitting the sky open and everybody's going to see and everybody's going to know Jesus has come. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Was there anything wrong with eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage? No. That's just normal living. So he's saying when Jesus comes again, many people are going to be living what we consider to be normal lives. Getting up in the morning, going to work, coming home. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from the heavens and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. In other words... On that great day, 
Don't let there be anything of this world that's going to hold on to you. Don't let there be anything in this world that's going to grab a hold of you and say, oh, I have to go get my computer. Jesus is coming. You're not going to need your computer where you're going. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Now, this is the key issue. Lot's wife lost her life because her life was back in Sodom, not ahead. It was behind her. She could not trust that God would provide for her. And I ask you today, where is your life? Is your life what you have here? Is your life your job and your family? Is your life what you've been able to accumulate here? Is this your life? Or do you believe that God will ultimately provide for you and your life is with him? Now tell me, please. If you can't trust God with your money, how can you trust God with your life? If you can't trust God with your money, how can you trust him with your eternal future? You can't. That's why this question is so difficult to deal with. It says... Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Lot's wife tried to hang on to her life. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. If I try to keep the National Prayer Chapel, I'll lose it. It's that simple. If I try to keep the radio broadcast, I'll lose it. Anything I try to keep, I will lose. Except Jesus Christ. Look, I tell you on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two people will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Lord, where are they going to be left? He replied, where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather. In other words, the ones left behind die. They're just bodies. He's saying you can wrestle for heavenly things, but don't wrestle for earthly things. Don't wrestle to hang on to what you have. Give it into the hand of Jesus. Your job, your business, your wife, your husband, your children, you give everything into Jesus' hands. 
You give your future into Jesus' hands. You give your sin into Jesus' hands. You give everything into his hands. And you stand on the mountain of the Lord and you say, the Lord will provide on the mountain of the Lord. The Lord will provide righteousness, peace, prosperity. The Lord will provide or it will not be provided. You will lose it. Those of you today who are married, God provided you with that husband or that wife. But you cannot keep them. They belong to Jesus. It's your job simply to serve in love and kindness and mercy and minister in the name of Jesus to that spouse or that partner, to those children. At that job. Did you know you could lose your job tomorrow? But by the grace of God, you would not have a job. By His grace and by His mercy, you have provision for tomorrow. God has tested me most severely on this issue, even as He did Abraham. As Jan lay dying, I had to answer the question, how can I go on without her? How can I go on without her? I can't. But I could not keep her. It's been four years, just over. And a week ago this Friday night, I had a dream. The Lord came to me in the dream. And he said to me, your time of grieving is over. And in the dream, I began to laugh with great freedom. And he's right. In some ways, I've gotten in the habit of being sad when I'm alone. And the Lord said, stop it. Be joyful. You have me. What I want you to begin to sense in your heart, and it may terrify you, what if you really give up everything and everybody And you give everything to Jesus. And you recognize that tomorrow belongs to Jesus, not to you. And that you are merely a servant to do the work the Lord has assigned you to do tomorrow. That it is not yours. And that tomorrow is going to pierce you. You are going to be tested by God this week. And the question you will be tested over 
Will you or will you not trust that the Lord will provide for you? Everything. Life, health, happiness, partnership, fellowship, love, Can you begin to separate in your own heart and mind and begin to let go of what has been your support outside of Jesus and begin to transition now so that your support is flowing directly from the word of God, from prayer, as you commune with Jesus Christ. When that happens, you'll recognize it because peace will fill your heart. Even as you are pierced, Peace will be in your heart. And you will be even running scenarios in your head saying, okay, it looks like I'm going to die on this. But Jesus made a promise to me, so I'm going to be resurrected. Are you willing... To say, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let's pray. Lord, I know this belt of truth will not allow me to lie or to pretend that you will not provide. Lord, that belt of truth, if it's to be buckled on, means I will trust in the name of my God And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Lord, I pray today that you will buckle that that belt of truth on every person who is in this house. That there will be no longer any dishonesty in our hearts. No longer any pretending that we can walk in sin and still walk with you. No longer any pretense. Lord, belt that buckle of truth around each person in this house now. I pray in your holy name. Amen.